2: From the NASDAQ in New York, this is Fast Money. I'm Brian Sullivan, in for Melissa Lee. Welcome. Your trader lineup tonight, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, and Karen Feinerman. Tonight on Fast, despite a record close for the S&P 500, Catacord's Tony Dwyer is out with a big warning to investors ahead of this week's big Fed decision, what that is and where to invest right now ahead. Plus, buckle up. We're trading not one, not two, but three big headlines in the auto sector what they are, and how our traders are writing the news. And later on, check this. Maroon Five, Jesse Carmichael is here. The band has dropped the new album with a first-of-its-kind crypto component. They're hoping it moves like Jagger. Jesse uh, joins us uh, exclusively to break it all down. All right, welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us on this Monday. And so much to do tonight. Look at that, the numbers. Not huge moves, but enough to make a record high. And let's start with that and your money Because the record closed for the S&P and the Nasdaq composite. Technology getting some love and helping lift us to all-time highs. The move comes despite a pretty dire warning for the Fed. Billionaire hedge fund manager Paul Tudor Jones saying central bank is risking its credibility and that its policies could lead to inflation that is more than just transitory. Watch the Fed on Wednesday. Uh, if they treat these numbers, which were material events, they're very material. If they treat them with nonchalance, then I think it's just a green light to, 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 to bet heavily on every inflation trade. The idea that inflation tra- is transitory uh, to me is, is that, that one just doesn't work the way I see the world. So with less than two days before what might be the most important or one of the most important Fed meetings of Jay Powell's career, Guy Adami, yes, sir. should our audience be going all in on the inflation? Trend? I believe so. And we said it for a while. And I got I hope you really read
3: that thing about Maroon 5 in the teleprompter and didn't make it up on your own, because that was a that was just that would have been a beautiful mistake. I believe, in the, I believe in the reflation trade. I believe in everything that Paul Tudor Jones just said. Understand that he cut his teeth in commodities. So some of the things he said today were somewhat self-serving, and I get it. I'm sure Dan will bring that up. But I've said it for a while. Inflation is here to stay. To bet against it, I think is foolish. I'm surprised that 10-year yields can't get off the mat here, but they did a little bit today. I think the resource trade works. Tim can speak to that, but I'm clearly in the Paul Tudor Jones' camp.
4: Yeah,
5: but, you know, Paul Tudor Jones, <clears throat> obviously a macro trading legend, right? Over the last 40 years, I guess my question would be, what's different this time? Is it different this time that we just had this pandemic, this black swan event? It was, you know, one of the worst health and economic crises we've had in 100 years because I remember prior to the pandemic, the idea that inflation couldn't get going fast enough, that we were worried about deflation and all the forces that are going on in technology and globalization, that sort of thing. So when I think about what's gone on just in the last 14 or 15 months, I just don't understand how a legend like that and all of these other guys, Drucker Miller and all these other people weighing in on this, how all of a sudden a black swan event has created this. Weird supply-demand dynamic in the world globally. We're still having supply chains that are going to be messed up. We're still dealing with the virus. We're still having um, upticks in China that are causing some shipping delays and all that. I get it. But my point is, what is your definition of transitory? Because if you're telling me that a pandemic is going to cause like record inflation from here on out, or we're
2: going to have five percent growth year over the year for the next few years, it just doesn't make any sense. Well, I, Dan, I, I don't. Guess, well, is what I'm by saying. the way, you nailed it. There is a COVID outbreak at a port in China right yeah. now, which is actually making things worse. But very quickly on that, I think the idea being is that yes, it was the pandemic which led to global record central bank money printing, Correct. which has Exacerbated just like the savings. financial
5: crisis, remember that one 12 years ago, and everyone's screaming and moaning. The, the Fed did not come off of ZERP for five years. They did not start tapering bond purchases for five years. Okay, We never had the inflation. And at the end of it, when we were like so sick of all of the discussion about it, what did we have? You know what I mean? We had deflationary pressures. And yeah. so I'm just not certain why that shouldn't come
2: back at some point in 2022. Well, we'll see. And a zero interest rate policy reference, by the way. Karen Feynman, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it was Goldman out today Mm -hmm. saying no rate hikes to 2023. The bond market, by the way, may disagree with that. But are you going all in on the inflation trade?
6: I'm in the inflation camp, but I never go all in on anything. And I got to say, I agree with Dan (laughs) that... um, you know, this this let's see. I don't I don't agree with Paul Tudor Jones' assessment that this meeting has to be the one necessarily because I do think the Fed should have more time to assess the situation and we started to see we'll start to see actually whether the CPI comes in a little bit in the next month or two or three. And so I think the Fed has a little time to wait. Now, I'm a little skeptical that inflation is completely transitory. So I'm positioned for inflation. I have, you know, banks, uh, they do better in inflation. I think a lot of things actually will do better with inflation. But I'm certainly not making any big bond bets. I'm not making any big commodity bets because that's just kind of not my thing. But I, I, I don't know. I feel like the Fed has a little bit more time to look. And, you know, you brought up at the beginning of the show that, you know, some things coming in, uh, lumber and whatnot, they could be right.
2: Yeah. I mean, Tim, look at it. You look at commodities, DBC and ETF. It's a basket of commodities. been soaring. Yeah, lumber's come off the high, but still well up. Almost every single thing is well up from where it was 12 months ago. You just buy gold, buy tips, treasury, inflation-protected securities, and let it ride?
1: Well, um, the three things that I heard that I think are the most important parts of his commentary, first of all, as it relates to commodities, he was making an allocation call. He said 10 years ago, When we're getting into uh, kind of the the worst of the speculation around commodities, commodity uh, allocations were about 75, uh, excuse me, 1.25 basis points of all equity allocations. They're at 75 bips now. So his point is that if you just get back to the level we were 10 years ago, it's a great, great trade. I think the other thing he was saying is he's concerned about the central bank orthodoxy. In other words, they're, they're they're they they are not willing to be reactive. They're basically relying on a model. They're basically relying on, on uh, a, a view that they're not going to have an inflation problem. And, and look, I, you know Dan's right to say that we've, we've struggled with deflation, if anything, but, but we've never had fiscal policy booming on all fronts with monetary policy, which has been booming for a long time. So I think the risk is that the Fed stays at the party too long. And, and that's what today's interview is about.
2: Yeah. And by the way, it's not just Paul Tudor Jones. I want to play a soundbite from Morgan Stanley, CEO James Gorman. He was just on with Closing Bell a few moments ago. Jamie Dimon kind of echoing those comments as well. Listen to what Gorman had to say about inflation.
3: And the question is, when does the Fed move? It has to move at some point. And I think the bias is more likely earlier than the current dots would suggest rather than later. And that's what I expressed. Obviously, I have no special wisdom on it, but my gut tells me this economy is recovering faster. Inflation is moving quicker and it may not be quite as transitory as we all think.
2: Well, Guy, he does have a couple hundred highly paid analysts that hopefully have some knowledge. So I would say he does have a little special window into this. When does the Fed move? He does, except that he went against those highly paid
3: people a couple of weeks ago when he, you know, he was about six months ahead of the people at Morgan Stanley by saying he saw a taper sometime at the end of this year. And oh by the way, he saw a rake hike in a sometime beginning of next year, which is six to nine months ahead of the economists of Morgan Stanley. And that by the way coincided with a week prior, Morgan Stanley naming two co presidents. Again, I don't know what he's auditioning for, but he's clearly putting it out there for a reason. And Larry Summers has made comments.
5: And Stan Druck. Everybody and has their mother comments. has made comments about it. And I'll just go back listen, I- I'm not saying that they shouldn't do it. I think they should start hinting towards a taper, at least, right, and kind of give maybe better guidance about when rates start to normalize. I just go back and remember when they started normalizing rates starting in 15, 16, 17, what did they have to do in 2018? And they weren't even doing it pretty aggressively. As soon as the 10-year Treasury yield got above 3%, things started freaking out. And things started freaking out because this happened over a period of time. And there were a lot of growth scares. So I think the idea that we're not focused on when a double-dip recession might happen in the not-so-distant future, all right, because the recovery is going to be a Is that a possibility? Why not? Sully, do you remember the obsession with double-dip recessions after the financial crisis? And that was one of the reasons that gave the Fed some cover. And the other aspect of it is that this was a rolling financial crisis, right? So we were coming out of it in 09, 2010, and that was in Europe, and then we were worried about growth in China. Why do you think this is just gonna be a linear sort of thing here? And this goes back to the point, is that we've had now 15 years of unusually easy fiscal and monetary no one knows how it's going to end, okay? And I suspect they do start at some point sooner, like Gorman just said, um, raising sooner than expected, but it's going to be slow, man. And they learned that lesson in Q4 yeah. 2018.
2: All right, so now let's continue this but add another voice to the conversation. And your first guest tonight has a big old message. Don't make any big bets right now. Let's bring in Tony Dwyer, catacords chief market strategist you've been listening to us tony want to get your views on it one of the other things that paul tudor jones said on cbc this morning is that he called the current environment um it's a family-friendly show right guy? say bat guano <laughs> nice crazy right eighteen thousand dollar <laughs> invisible statues homes selling for hundreds of thousands of dollars above asking without being seen i mean where are
7: we going and where are we investing right now well, you can't get a snowmobile or a watercraft in any area around the Northeast because they're already sold out, and you're actually sold out into next year. Um, There's just a shortage of, of, of uh, and the supply constraint is really starting to come into play. But our, our back in when we downgraded the market in mid-April, we saw a lot of risk from some of the most speculative areas. The SPACs were going nuts. You had um commodities spiking higher the the whole market was ripping especially the cyclicals and a lot of those areas that interest rates were up to 177 and nearly everybody was calling for two percent that was a time where you have kind of a warning of the speculative excesses right now I'm kind of in Karen's camp um, where you do no harm and by do no harm I'm not giving this oh my God warning this is just a be neutral don't make a big bet on the on your market exposure. And for those that most of our clients, um, they don't take market bets. They take sector bets. We're pretty neutral until we get a better indication of what the Fed's going to look like.
2: Okay, so let's say you got somebody listening right now, Tony, or watching, and they own the SPY or they own the only QQQ, super broad based index bets, risk averse. Do they? You're
7: saying obviously don't add more to them, but do they do they sell them right now? Well, what we've been saying over the course of the last couple of months has been to take profit in those areas that saw speculative excess. So that would have been the financials. We, down, we did a relative downgrade of the banks and the financials in early March because that's when, that's when rates peaked. I mean, you saw extraordinary things. People keep asking, what, what's the bond market telling us? What are, what are the various um, indices telling us? Uh, What are the sectors telling us? And sometimes they move and they discount some of the action that is to come. And I think that was the case in early March. So, um, yes, I think you hold what you have. We are still early in an economic and market cycle where I want to get, you know, I'm kind of known as being bullish. Where I want to attack the market is when you have periods of weakness and periods of correction versus chasing, you know, grinds higher like we're in now. Yeah, and we're looking at a
2: chart of the 10-year note. And here's what's interesting, despite all this talk, Tony, is that the 10-year bond yield has done nothing for three months. If anything, it has actually moved a little bit lower. I mean, there's been all these calls for 2% by the end of the year. Unless we see a major change in bond investors' attitudes, we could have a lower 10-year yield, to Dan's point, I think, than we do right now, if we do or it stays where it is. Is that right. the all clear, longer term, you're saying
7: short term, but longer term, the all clear to stay in tech, to stay in high growth? Well, you're definitely getting a bid there on the lower bond yields, just like you got a bid in the, in the cyclicals on the higher bond yields. When we had initially talked about a peak in rates or a stall in rates, it came because the 10-week rate of change on the 10-year note yield, it's a in technical indicator, got to a place that it had only been twice before. And I think we highlighted this on the show. And anytime it's gotten to that point and peaked, which it did in early March, the first week of March, you've seen, at a, a best, a trading range in yields and typically lower yields. It tells you that some of that strong economic expectation was already priced into the 10-year note yield. So we've correct, we've even corrected that. Now commodities are in a correction. We're in the correction for the cyclicals. Where, I, where I've made a mistake is I expected this, you know, all of a sudden you get a, a, a hit to everything that you take a risk off hit, but the way that the market's made up now it's been more of a rolling five to ten percent correction where every area is getting hit at its own time based like the transports recently based on its own individual outlook
2: you know there's also i don't know mel the gang like they all like to talk about the fomo trade right fear of missing out and there is also this this train of thought among energy and some of the other unloved sectors right either you can't own them Mm -hmm. or you don't want to own them they're literally physically dirty digging stuff out of the ground type trades but guess what those have been the trades that have been making money do you think there's going to be this rush by fund managers investors to show their clients that they own these things because the clients they just want return do you think that in other words, the upward momentum builds on the upward momentum as others say, oh, I better own that because I don't want my clients to know we haven't owned it.
7: So that's a tough one because now you've got transports down about six and a half percent from peak um, and you've got the Fang stocks making new highs or the, or the NASDAQ composite on the back of the Fang stocks making new highs. So what do you want to show? you're seeing the commodities are down in the stocks related to the commodities the transportations as I said the home builders those economically sensitive areas that everybody was flooding into going into April and May are now pulling back pretty dramatically so I'm not sure see here's the interesting thing in the two last, I I would be happy to admit forget it Corrections over there's no more worry. you don't need to be defensive but we're in a fundamental transition with an unclear Fed and that's showing up in the markets because we made two new record highs in the S&P 500 over the last three days and two of those days had more down volume than up volume. There's just a lot of indigestion just like 2004 and just like Dan's 2010 where you you've after the great financial crisis, you had an 81% ramp off the low. And then you went into this period of indigestion in the summer of 2010, as you try to figure out what that great market environment and economic outlook, what it was gonna mean to assume, maybe sooner than expected Fed transition away from, I guess it was QE1. we'll, we'll see if it is
2: the pause that refreshes or the pause that disappoints, because we certainly do appear like we're in a, a slight pause right now. Tony Dwyer of Canaccord. Tony, a pleasure. Always to have you back on the program. Uh, Karen Feynman, wrap it up with a bow here. Do we think that there is some trade to be made off of FOMO or off of this idea that maybe that some of these things that we have not liked at all, they need to be bought? Or are you more in Tony's camp, which is, you know what, let's sit back, let's get through the summer, let's see where earnings estimates may, see what the Fed may do, and just kind of chill
6: trying to be chill. It's not really entirely my nature, but that's the way I'm positioned. Sitting back, not making any rash moves, I suppose, with the VIX down here, probably add some protection, but not making any big moves in the portfolio. I don't think the Fed's doing anything right now.
2: Yeah, I suppose it would be more interesting, Tim, if somebody came on the show and said, panic and make rash moves. Never heard anybody say that. (laughs) Is there some sort of a trade that we need to be adjusting for right now as we look ahead to the Fed Wednesday or even a little bit further out?
1: Well, I think there's been a number of these phases where we've had these rolling uh, column rotations, and you've seen that the, the Nasdaq, Tony said this, has outperformed the S&P by about 4% since in, a, in a month. Um, and he pointed out that materials have sold off. We've all pointed out that a lot of commodity prices are down from their highs. But if you look at first quarter earnings revisions upward from Q1 earnings, Energy's up about 25 percent. Materials up about 19. Bank's up about 17. So those three sectors, to me, are, are the most interesting because of their earnings profile, as much as anything. And they are inflation hedges. And they've sold off a bit. So I, I think those are your trades right now.
3: And if you think about Tony's call in April, I mean, although the S&P hasn't really cooperated, a lot of the underlying things have absolutely done. What he thought. Look at the home builders as Dan's talked about for the last couple of weeks. That's off probably 12% in the last two weeks or so. And you've seen those corrections. It just hasn't manifested itself for whatever reason in the broader market. I, my
2: sense is it's going to rather soon. Yeah, I'll give you a preview tomorrow's RBI on 5 a.m. Worldwide Exchange. Tune in. Love it. Pretend the, the hard way. It has to do with a big drop in commodities. All right. On <laughs> deck. Cheap plug. On deck tonight. Got to get something out of this. <laughs> Some big news out of Micro Strategy just hitting the tape. What is the news? I don't know. But we're going to find out in the commercial break and bring it to you. And later, oh, Lordstown, hitting the skids again. But one trader says the damage should be even worse. We're going to find out why and just what is next with a beaten down EV name. More fast money two.
4: The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now... And a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower? The ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
0: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy.
2: Welcome back. As we said before the break, there is breaking news on MicroStrategy. Let's get to Frank Collin with the details. Frank, what do we got? Hey there, Brian. Uh, Shares of MicroStrategy down about a percent and a half right now. After the company files for a potential stock offering, the company's saying that stock offering would in part uh, be used to uh, purchase Bitcoin. Uh, The proceeds of that will be used in part to purchase Bitcoin. However, the company did say that uh, it's not clear how much of those proceeds would be used for any particular purchase, including the acquisition of Bitcoin. Bitcoin up about 7% right now, but still down about 20% over the last month. And again, the company says that management would have discretion over what percentage of the proceeds of this stock offering would be used to acquire Bitcoin. Shares down just about a percent and a half right now. Brian, back over to you. Frank, thank you. All right, so just to wrap this up, this is Guy, and Dan and I, we were talking about this in the commercial break. To be clear, you may have heard about MicroStrategy raising money this morning to buy Bitcoin. That was a bond sale. 2028 notes due. This is an equity offering. So effectively, Michael Saylor, your buddy, and MicroStrategy doing two raises, one debt, one equity, to buy Bitcoin in the same day. He's
3: he is. Listen, if you watch him, if you listen to him, I mean, you go to Educator, there educate a number of ways you can go. I mean, he is full all in on this. And he's not looking at the price of micro strategies today, tomorrow, a year from now. He's in this for the next 10, 15, 20 years without question. And he speaks about it. He speaks how crypto market cap now of two trillion dollars should be easily north of gold's 10 trillion, if not 50 trillion at some point. He can wax poetic. And he is all in in terms of what they're doing to convert what, they failed, what he thought was a failed balance sheet, into what they consider now an asset with, I think, now over 100,000 Bitcoin on their balance sheet. So if you believe in crypto, you almost have
5: to believe in microstrategy. Well, here's the thing, Guy, I, mean, I hate to correct you live on air, but the, current, the market cap of crypto now is one Three trillion. OK, so Came it was off. two. But, but this is really important because I've heard Michael say this, is that you've never seen an asset class. He was talking about Bitcoin in particular when it was a trillion dollars. Get to a trillion and then kind of go away. So I buy a lot of what their thought process um, is on that. I'll just say this about Bitcoin. They announced that bond deal last year. That was micro or last week. That was MicroStrategy. Bitcoin was trading thirty-two thousand at one point at its lows last week, and it was contending with some of the lows from earlier um, in May when it really looked precarious mm. after a high of sixty-four five. So you've had this news, you've had Elon Musk saying that they might accept Bitcoin again for purchases. I think one person bought a car with Bitcoin. I don't know why that's particularly important, <laughs> but if it fails here at forty thousand and it can't make any progress, just technically, and our friend Carter Braxton Worth has said this numerous times on the show over the last couple of weeks. It's going to be contending with 30,000 again, and if it gets through 30,000, you know what the level is. It was the 20,000 breakout from December 2020, so there's some air pockets there.
2: Well, Karen, we like high-conviction calls, and Michael Saylor is maybe the most convicted of anybody out there, from, but he's running a public company. They are a software company, so now they're becoming a Bitcoin-owning software company. I know you're probably not a huge holder of MicroStrategy, but from a strategy point of view. Would you be happy if a company you own, the CEO of a restaurant chain, decided they're going to start buying gold? That's a kind of effectively what they're doing here. It's not their business. It's just right. a balance sheet holding.
6: No, it's, yeah, it's a balance sheet holding, right. So I, I wouldn't be a fan except for he has stated very, very clearly what his intention is. So if you're a holder of MicroStrategy here and you're, you know, you're shocked by this billion dollar offering and that they might use some of the proceeds for Bitcoin, well that's kind of on you because he's been quite clear about it. So for me, I actually I'm long Bitcoin some other currencies. I wouldn't do it through this this uh you could do it through this equity. They'll be correlated highly but uh for me I'd rather just if you want to own Bitcoin, I would rather own Bitcoin. But he he's told you what he's. He, there's no there's no sleight of hand here. He's been very forward about it, so I'll give him that. And he, you know I think he's been right so far.
2: Yeah, and to Dan's point though, watch the price of Bitcoin because now that's going to be impactful for the price of MSTR, MicroStrategy. All right, big headlines there. But we would expect nothing less from Michael Saylor. All right, we are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next.
3: Lordstown and GM and old autos. Oh, my. The desk is kicking the tires on three big car industry headlines and bringing you the trades. And later, we're gazing into our crystal ball to see what the future has in store for Oracle earnings. Why one options trader sees stormy skies ahead. We've got that
0: and a lot more when Fast Money returns.
2: All right, mark your calendars. The CNBC Evolve Global Summit is coming up this Wednesday. We've got a great lineup, featured speakers, Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger, Pfizer's Albert Borla, and Carnival's Arnold Donald. Learn more and register now at cnbcevents.com evolve. All right, well, it has been a huge day for headlines in the auto industry. Three major developments across a number of companies Phil Obeau joining us now with all the latest news. Phil.
8: Brian, let's start off with Lordstown Motors because this was the stock of the day to watch within the auto industry. Down at one point more than 20 percent. Now you see right there down 18.8 percent. Once again, trading under $10 a share. The CEO, CFO, gone. CEO Steve Burns, he's completely out of the company. He also has left the board of directors. And this leads the question, what is the outlook for Lordstown Motors? Well, near term and further out, a couple of huge issues. Near term, they're looking for a CEO. They've also got a secure capital. Remember, last week they issued an SEC filing that they may have trouble being a going concern. At the same time, longer term, further out, at least by the end of third quarter, they plan to start production of their endurance pickup truck. And then, do they have the money to grow production. It's not enough just to say, hey, we started production by the end of September, as we said. You've got to be able to make sure that you can continue building and grow your volumes from there. So as you take a look at shares of Lordstown Motors, remember that all of this started with Hindenburg Research coming out and saying a lot of what they were saying or promising was complete malarkey. Lordstown said it did their own probe, largely found most of the claims from Hindenburg false, with the exception of the claims about uh, pre-orders They admitted, yeah, there were some inaccuracies that were there. And some of those pre-order statements tied to Steve Burns in the past. We've interviewed him about that. So that's the Lordstown story. Meanwhile, General Motors tangentially related to Lordstown Motors. Remember, Lordstown Motors has the old GM plant in Lordstown, Ohio. It also owns 5% of Lordstown Motors. The company today saying that it's not changing it's holding it's it still holds them had no comment on the change in leadership at lordstown today gm held its annual meeting did it virtually ceo mary barra said a couple of things one No change in the plans with the dividend. It is suspended. They may have news later this year. Also, with regard to the semiconductor chip shortage, the situation is gradually improving. And we've heard this from General Motors a couple of times over the last month, that they are going to be gradually increasing production where they can. They've done a better job than some other automakers in terms of managing that situation. Finally, let's talk about the age of vehicles on the road in the United States. I love this chart. This comes to us from IHS Mark. They track all of the registrations, 270 million in the United States of all the vehicles that are in operation. Guess what? The average age is now at a record high, 12.1 years. And it's easy to see why, Brian. People are hanging on to their cars longer. Record high prices for new vehicles, record high prices for used vehicles. Has a lot of folks saying, you know what? I think I'm going to drive what I've got. Keep driving a little bit longer. As you take a look at shares of AutoZone, the reason we're showing this to you people in this country holding their vehicles longer, Brian, one out of every four is at least 16 years old. Think about that. 70 million vehicles in this country are at least, at least 16 years old. That is the stat of the day. Brian, back to you. Wow, really is. Yeah, I guess you pay 60 grand for a pickup truck,
2: Phil. You're going to drive that thing, a bow. All right. Time now for a session of Trader's Choice. Mm. Tim Seymour, let's start with you. Three headlines, Three big storylines. Which one do you like? Which one do you want to trade? Tim? All right, we're going to get Tim back on. Karen Feinerman, you can hear me, I presume. If not, I'm just going to yell louder. Which of these headlines do you like? Which one do you want to trade?
6: I mean, I would, I don't know, trade faded, I guess, I, Lordstown, Different I actually game. thought the stock hung, hung in there like a champ because given that news, which was awful, awful, think about the news that we've had, one, they're going to run out of cash, two, the ongoing concern, um, which is uh, clearly as a result of their potentially running out of cash, so that they announced that. That in itself wasn't that terrible, but the CEO leaving, the CFO leaving. And the company saying, yeah, they really did were inaccurate in their description of what our orders are. So the orders aren't there. CEO is not there. The CFO isn't there. I didn't see anything about in the severance agreements or anything like that about whether they could sell their stock or not or whether they even want to. I don't know. But they're going to have production problems. They're going to have cash problems. They have management problems. And if you were trying to negotiate for a strategic partner, which they must be desperately they have no cards to play so all those reasons together i can't believe the stock in the, hung in there this well i wouldn't be i would not be long kind of,
2: yeah guy kind of kind of amazing and i'll let you pick another story if you want the stock's actually up 26% in a month well off its highs we may go out of business. We may run out of money. Oh, yeah, we fudged some of the numbers on actual sales, and we just booted our top two executives. And to Karen's point, the stock is holding up. But is that the one you want to trade? I have an explanation, I think.
3: I think a year ago, same news, it's down 50%, percent five zero easy. I think in this environment where it's so hard to make money on the short side and we have so many people gunning against said shorts, I think people that were short the name today took this as an opportunity to take the money and run. I think it's yeah. just the environment that we find ourselves in. I don't think it necessarily has anything to do with Lordstown, and more so the environment they're in right now. Tim
2: Seymour, Traders Choice to you.
1: Good to be back. Uh, nothing worse than being on national cable TV <laughs> and knowing you're about to get asked a question and then lose your IFB. But uh, um, so look, it, it, GM to me is the story. I think of the day, and this is a case where think about where Mary Barra is year over year from pandemic of, of you know, June 2020, where they just had a six-week strike at GM. They had major pandemic issues. Uh, this year, they're going to they're gonna sell more EV cars globally than Tesla or Volkswagen. They're going to have uh, uh, average prices up 6.5%. They're going to possibly have better results even than they guided in, in their last earnings report. So for investors, the story of GM is one where the multiples probably moving higher. Uh, it's also arguably an inflation hedge because, again, they have pricing power. Company's never been run better. It's got plenty of exposure to EV. And Lordstown and Nikola aside, um, they're doing just fine by themselves. So, you know, GM is
2: the story. All right, Tim Seymour. Tim, thank you very much. Coming up, breakout the burrito bowls. Why one analyst says that rising prices at Chipotle may actually help rise the stock. And later, they've got moves like crypto. Maroon 5, the latest act to jump on the digital currency train. One band member hopes it's going to help them reach out better to their fans. Very cool story. Jesse Carmichael of the band will join us on Fast Money coming up. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. you getting hungry? Probably are. Shares of Chipotle, they're higher today, even as most restaurant stocks fell. It's because of an upgrade. Raymond James boosting CMG to a strong buy, not just a buy, a strong buy, and slapping an $1,800 price target on the stock. It's about 30% upside. And get this, the analyst says higher costs could lead to higher prices and thus a higher stock price. It is your call of the day. Guy Adama, your take
3: I agree. I mean, they're going to pass it on to the consumer. The consumers will be more than happy to continue to go. They there will be a great Harvard Business Review story in the years to come about the turnaround in CMG and eighteen hundred dollars. Although it's going to be a valuation problem at that price, they might actually grow into it. Trades at forty two times now. They have the earnings growth to back it up. I'm not sure about eighteen hundred, but I think it takes out the fifteen hundred recent
2: all time high. By the way, the restaurant stocks in general have been red hot. Red Robin, Gourmet sure. Burger. Your favorite Bloomin' brands? Yeah. The Onion out there, but you, we talked. The best performing of all the names, Potbelly. Of
3: course it is. I mean, who doesn't <laughs> love a good Potbelly? And you went to McDonald's saying <laughs> you got a spicy chicken, and you're still paying for it as we
2: speak, aren't you, Brian? Was, that was not commentary for television, but, yes, I did go. To, and, by the way, it was delicious. <laughs> We're paying for it, but whatever. <laughs> why, do I, why do I commute into the city? Why do I do this? Sure. Literally, it took me like three and a half hours to get here by car. Oh. Sorry I left sorry my house that. yesterday morning <laughs> to get here for this show. All right. Coming up, figuring out the future for Oracle. We are diving into the stock as the company gears up to report earnings. Tomorrow, we're going to tell you how the options traders are playing that one. Plus, all this crypto talk is making it harder and harder to breathe. Room 5's Jesse Carmichael joining us in just a few minutes. Talk about the band's new album and a big crypto push, something you can get involved in as well. Do not go anywhere. Fast Money, just as good as that chicken sandwich, is back right after this.
3: (laughs) Miss a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast.
2: All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Let's take a look into Oracle's future. Earnings out tomorrow night. And if you remember, we brought you an early look ahead of the tape last week. So let's check back in with Mike Co. with the current setup. Mike, what is catching your eye on Oracle? Yeah.
3: So taking a look at Oracle options volume today, one of the things we saw was more than two and a half times the average daily put volume trading. Now, right now, the options market is implying a move of about 5% or so by the end of the week. That's pretty much in line with how much Oracle has historically moved. But the most active put options were the June 78.5 puts. Those are the ones that expire this coming Friday. Close to 5,000 of those traded for just over $0.56 a piece. Buyers of those puts are obviously betting that the earnings may be disappointing, that the stock could fall below that $78.5 strike price by the end of the week. And that would be slightly more than the implied move that we're seeing in the options market right now.
2: All right, Mike, thank you very much. All right, let's trade this. Stock's been red hot, Dan, up 36% in six months, nearly triple the NASDAQ, triple Q. Thoughts on Oracle? Yeah, I think that's really
5: the main point. Nearly triple the performance of the NASDAQ, triple Q. We've seen a lot of money come out of high growth, SaaS names or other names that are in the cloud. I just don't see why it makes <laughs> sense to be bidding this stock up where it is. Guy has been all over this trade. Literally since the early 60s, over the last six months. I give you... Well, I, I didn't mean your age. Oh, I didn't mean your age to <laughs> the early 1960s. 60s. I <laughs> meant since the stock was in the low 60s here. I just think you probably see this thing come off. I think it's a bit of a value trap. I'm not sure that you're going to get the sort of fiscal year 2022 guidance on the things that matter in this name to keep it going on its way to 100.
2: Tim, you got a point of view in Oracle? I mean, we don't talk about databases much anymore.
1: Well, they're, look, their their cloud business has has been very strong. The question is, what's been priced in? It's probably the best three month history in the performance of the stock ever. So uh, again, expectations are in constant currency, up about three to five percent. Um, I think the bar is reasonably high coming into this. I I I would be defensive, but kudos to Guy because this was the O oh, in his hope trade. I don't even remember what my acronym trade was, um, and I and I think he's been crushing it ever since. So nice job.
2: All right, good stuff there and Oracle tomorrow night. So for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. It is every Friday. You know this by now, but we're going to tell you at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. All right, coming up, Maroon 5's Jesse Carmichael is joining us next to talk about the band's new album, but also its first-of-a-kind crypto component and a way you can get involved. You do not want to miss that interview. It is coming up next. Fast Money turns. What's Jim up to? Let's find out. A little sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Oh, Jim is talking with the CEO of American Express. That's a big one. Catch that full interview tonight at the top of the hour on Mad Money. All right. Well, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, have taken the world and the music world by storm, with artists like the Kings of Leon and Grimes cashing in on the craze. And now, one of the hottest bands of the planet for over a decade is diving into the space. Maroon 5 just released their new album, Jordi with an NFT component called a DAO, D-A-O, with NFT mining and wallet company Yellowheart to help make it happen. So what exactly is a DAO? And how are they changing the music landscape? Let us find out and bring in Maroon 5's Jesse Carmichael, as well as Yellow Heart CEO Josh Katz, who joins us by phone in just a moment. Uh, Jesse, real pleasure to have you on CNBC. You got the new album. You've got this component. I mean, NF- NFTs for dummies. Tell us exactly what this is, what it does, and why you're doing it.
9: Well, I think of it like a new form of a unique art project that gives people something that's totally theirs. And in our case, we wanted to try and push the envelope a little bit away from just a digital piece of art and go into something that was a little more like a community. Because the whole ethos of this decentralized space is that, you know, it's totally transparent. People can see all the workings. And so we thought about putting together a charitable DAO, which is a place where people can buy an NFT, which gives them access to this DAO. And then it allows them to vote on charitable organizations that we put up um, for consideration and people can say yes or no to a project that we submit to the community. And so it's sort of a a big charitable trust.
2: Yeah. And D- D- Josh, welcome as well. The D- The DAO. And, and by the way, I'm, I'm gonna, not going to pretend that I'm any expert in this. I was learning about a lot of it the last week or so. Decentralized Autonomous Organization, DAO, obviously NFT. There's a lot of acronyms, a lot of letters here, Josh. Tell us, tell us how this works. If somebody were to get on and bid on this or buy this, I know there's a live listening party and some other things, what exactly do they get? And is it sort of a limited edition set? Yes. So when you buy into the DAO, the DAO stands for a Decentralized Autonomous Organization. And these organizations are basically, they run peer-to-peer software, which really empower a non hierarchical voting system. So they allow for community governance over funding mechanisms. So what happens in this case is that when any fan wants to come in and join the community, it's a minimum $25, and they are able to enter the community. And the band will float proposals to the community, which will require majority voting on the proposals, and then allow for those proposals to fund the charitable organizations, both environmental and social impact that the band brings to the community.
1: Jesse, it's Tim Seymour, thanks for joining us. You know, Maroon 5 is one of the most extraordinary things about your and your band's extraordinary career is that you've embraced different trends in the music industry at different times. So in the physical appearance period, uh, you guys crushed it. In streaming, you guys have crushed it. And now in digital, you guys are moving where the industry, you're certainly ahead of the industry. Um, Talk about this empowering of your fans, especially around charitable causes, and why doing well can also be doing good, or doing good can be doing well, as it relates to the band, really being able to to touch their fans and and almost you know make a stronger fan base
9: uh, out of it. That's right. Yeah, we've always had a very strong connection with our fans, and you know, we started back in the day where we had to collect email addresses with pen and paper to personally send out <laughs> invites to our show. So you're right. We've spanned a lot of technological movements, and this new one is very exciting for us because it allows our fans to be involved with our passion, which. At the start of this, uh, Living Dao is going to be focused on climate change related charities. And um, another new technology that's a part of this is the fact that the digital artwork that people buy into will be changing over time linked to a carbon index. And so as the carbon number goes down potentially in the future, thanks to all of our activism on the planet, we can see more flowers on the artwork. And if the carbon number is going up, then we'll see more mushrooms which, as a side note, is a, a very promising realm for reversing climate change problems on the planet. So,
3: Jesse, to change gears, when, when's the next Maroon 5 live tour? Have you guys planned it out? When's it happening?
9: Yep, it's on the book. So you can find out more at maroon5.com starting on August 10th here in the States.
2: All right, we're looking forward to live music. I know, Dan, you've seen some as well lately. Kind of a cool thing you guys are doing. Uh, Yellow Heart, we'll check it out. Josh Katz, Jesse Carmichael, thank you. Good luck. Let us know how it goes. Really curious about all this new technology to see the level of of interest. Right up next, your, not ours, your final traits. Kind of appropriate, right after having Jesse Carmichael. will show the Hard Rock, right? Yeah. No. Look, I've, I've the seen... place. I know you went for prom dinner in 1948. My prom <laughs> was there, right? Right after World so, War Duke II. Duke Ellington wonderful. live. He was wonderful <laughs> with his big band.
3: Tim Seymour's actually played the Hard Rock across the street on a number of different occasions. Remember, you Tim? had
2: to buy the shirt, like you know, uh, you know, Hard Rock Orlando or Sydney. You went to Sydney, you no? Know, I bought the shirt from a friend who's from Australia. All right, it's time now. For your final trades, let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour, your, your final trade, your favorite hard rock.
1: Yeah, uh, real bands. Congrats, Maroon 5 and Yellow Heart. Uh, Electronic Arts, you know, despite the hack, despite everything else, it's about to break out to all-time highs with a great pipeline. EA, it's in the game.
2: There you go. Karen Feinerman.
6: Yeah, FedEx, one I like a lot, has secretly come down about almost 8%. Uh, Some on the heels of that UPS Investor Day. I still really like it. E-commerce here to stay. FedEx.
5: Yeah, Nate. Yes, Spotify down from 387 in February, trading 250 for the first time in a little more than a month. I think you make a straight shot to 300 here, Spotify.
2: Straight shot at 300, guy though.
5: Sully, thanks
3: for joining us. McDonald's notwithstanding. Birthday shout out for the original Crypto King. Who is that person, Dan? Brian Kelly, happy birthday, buddy. We miss you. BK's birthday today? 55 0, half a hundred.
2: Uh, Blackstone continues to go higher. (laughs) Blackstone, nice. All right, I pitched. We're going to do an NFT for a Hard Rock Cafe gift card, 12 bucks for BK. Thanks for watching. The Mad Money Jim Cramer starts right now. Happy birthday, Brian.
4: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At p it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration.